The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Ra 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 ra. I'm Stitch. By the way, that was me, Stitch. Oh, okay. <laughs> I knew it was gonna. Ha- I was like, where's, where are they going with this one? Mm. I feel like everyone has. Mm, not to, I, I guess I'm trying to think of like impressions that middle schoolers liked doing that swept the nation. Uh-huh. And I feel like, I feel like the stitch impression was a real inflection point for some annoying 12 year olds. Sure. I think they really were like, here's my moment to shine. I'm going to find someone <laughs> I have a crush on and go, hi, <laughs> just, <laughs> and I'll do that for a year and then surely it'll work and they'll fall in love mm-hmm. with me. Oh, yeah. baby. It's it's I mean it's better there's there's certainly worse middle schooler impressions that have swept the nation. I was yeah. um in middle school when Borat came out. I was just going to say Borat. That was a that was a pain. <laughs> that was a difficult year. <laughs> and more ways than one. I mean it was like hard enough being in the 8th grade and then also mm-hmm. everyone's going to do a Borat impression. It's too much. Yeah. Nothing. I would take Stitch at any day. Yeah. Stitch is um a king. Stitch rocks. Well, <laughs> he really does. I kept laughing when I don't know why I was cackling. I feel like I am running a fever, so it, this could factor into <laughs> any opinion I'm about to share. Uh-huh, but sure. um every time he rolled up into a ball and rolled away, I was cackling. Yes. <laughs> it's so funny. There's a scene. Why is that, that the funniest joke in 
any movie I've ever seen. It's so funny. There's a scene where, and it's just kind of like a throwaway moment. It has nothing to do with anything, really. It's just to show that he's a rambunctious little guy. He's a little stinker. I mean, he's he, kind yeah. of like the littlest stinkerest. It's true. Um, but there's a scene where he... <laughs> starts blending something in a blender and then the lid flies off and it all shoots into his face and it's i don't know why but the funniest thing i've ever seen i'm like this is comedy genius like we should all just retire because like we're never going to top this hilarious physical gag and then the minions came along and oh, we're like wow oh my god the art form <laughs> progresses yet again i think that was more around my time where like a lot of the middle school kids would try to impersonate minions oh. bello that, for example wow that actually must have been a nightmare that must have sucked i used to like them and then i started hating them after like one everyone tried to impersonate them they also made like 20 more minion movies and i'm like okay this is there's a lot this is too much (laughs) i can't get enough but i don't want a middle schooler doing an impression at any point in time it will sour i feel like that'll sour you on almost anything being in middle (laughs) school when someone's doing an impression aggressively yeah um well welcome to the back to (laughs) cast yeah that was i think our longest tirade before we actually introduced the show (laughs) It's a rich text, Kate. I know. Uh, my, uh, my name is Jamie Loftus. My name is Caitlin Durante. And this is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechtel test simply as a jumping off point to initiate a much larger conversation. But Jamie, what is the Bechtel test? Tell me. I don't well, remember. I'll tell you, Caitlin Durante. Here's Thanks. what it is. Um, it's a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel in her comic collection called Dykes to Watch Out For. Originally made as a sort of one-off joke in a strip, but has since been kind of used as a media metric that we use. There's a lot of versions of it. The one we use is this. Mm-hmm. Um, our version of the test requires that there be two characters of a marginalized gender with names who speak to each other about something other than a man for two lines of dialogue. And I do feel like Stitch is male coded that this includes Stitch. Um, yeah. Yes. And it has to be an impactful. I mean, not that this movie has an issue with the Bechtel test. We're not going to have to really split hairs, fortunately. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and it should be an impactful sort of exchange. Yeah. That's what it is. Do you remember now? Yes. Thank you so much for the <laughs> reminder. I really need it. You're that. so welcome. <laughs> we say it every single week for seven years, but it's like someday it's really going to like take for both of us. Yeah. One one of these days I can feel it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is our Lilo and Stitch episode and we yes. have... Highly demanded. Highly requested. Yes. <laughs> and we have a highly requested guest as well. It is true. She is an actress. She's about to graduate with an MFA in Hawaiian theater. So I'm not the only master's degree have her in the room um okay feeling like (laughs) shit um i would never mention my master's though so it's fine um that's true she's an aspiring educator and teacher you've seen her on tiktok it's lily he ilani okimura aloha my kako thank you for having me welcome thank you so much for being here we're excited to have you i'm excited to be on here (laughs) Uh, i wasn't expecting us to get to the minions so quickly but now it just feels like we're old friends (laughs) Uh. (laughs) yes indeed um so lily tell us about your relationship your history with lilo and stitch Oh, well, I've been watching this film since I was in diapers. I, well, (laughs) 
because it takes place in Kauai, in, you know, Kapai Aina o Hawaii, it's a very beloved, popular film here amongst mm-hmm. um, not only like Native Hawaiians, but just like, you know, local residents here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been watching this film since I was a kid. I loved it. And I just kind of really appreciate like, you know, the representation of my culture and mm-hmm. my people, even though I'm not from Kauai. Um, I remember like there was a Lilo and Stitch episode because they had a series on Disney Channel and yeah. Yeah. Nani was on Oahu and I saw in the background like um, Leahi or like Diamond Head and some other mm. landscapes like that I could recognize and I was like, yeah. oh my God, that's my home and cool. it was just really exciting. That's um, so cool. Yeah. And just, you know, seeing the hula and hearing um, Hawaiian language and yeah, just all of that. Um, it's a very mm-hmm. beloved film here. Um, a lot of people love it. I still see like kids singing the songs and you know mm-hmm. dancing the hula and whatnot. Um, I'm in. I'm actually a hula dancer myself. I've been dancing for that long, but mm-hmm. my kumuhula, my hula teacher, knows the um, hula teacher that was hired to do the songs in Whoa. the yeah. So oh, right kumu Markeli Ho'omalu. Um, he's a known kumuhula in Hawaii, but I think right now his halau is in California. So. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah, he mostly teaches there, but cool. yeah, my kumuhula knows him, and it's a small mm-hmm. community, so. Awesome. That's, yeah. I loved, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that later in the episode of just, like, how the collaboration happened between him and Alan Silvestri. It was so interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's so amazing. Jamie, what's your uh, history with the movie? I was, uh, I mean, I was, I think I was in, like, third grade when this movie came out, and so I was, like, the target audience, and I remember seeing this movie, and going like just going ape shit for this movie i loved it so much it was one of my favorites it felt like i'm trying to remember i think that like at the time what i liked about it more than i mean i was uh, you know eight i liked all disney movies um but same uh, i was not a shrewd media critic at the time i was like tee hee pee pee poo poo um <laughs> I just remember connecting really strongly with Lilo as a kid because we were supposed to be about the same age Mm -hmm. and she was just like a weird kid and Mm -hmm. it was so cool seeing, I mean, I feel like a a lot of, you know, like young Disney characters are coded as misfits, but with Lilo, it's like, she's like, she's got the goods. She's got, she's got the receipts, a friend. (laughs) She knows a fish who controls the weather. Like she just like. She's got a doll that she was like, oh, the head's too big. So I pretended like a bug laid eggs in its ears. That's so funny. Uh, I love, I, yeah, I really loved Lilo. Cause I, it was like, I feel like sometimes you're told like, even with like earlier Disney movies, you're like this girl. I mean, I feel like actually Belle is a good example where they're like, she's so weird. She can read. And you're like, well, <laughs> you know, maybe historically that was weird, but it's not for a contemporary audience. You're like, well, I don't know. It just seems kind of like a hot regular person. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I loved that movie too, but it was like there, you know, she didn't have the goods to back it up. She didn't know anyone who controlled the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, I no, I just, I loved Lilo so much. I loved this movie. And then as I, cause I rewatched this movie, I think maybe like once a year, you know, as I got older, it was like, oh, Nani is such an incredible character. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to to talk about it. It was definitely, I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts. It was definitely, I think, my first meaningful exposure to Hawaiian culture of, of any kind. And 
I'm excited to talk about um, how well it holds up, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. Nice. Uh, Caitlin, what's your history with this movie? I had only seen this movie once before oh. um, prior to prepping for this episode. I know. What? It came out in 2002. I was in high school mm. and I thought I was too cool for Disney movies. Yeah. I felt I had aged out of Disney animated movies around probably like 97. Titanic came out and I was like, I'm an adult now. <laughs> Boobs I've are in Titanic. I wasn't even born then. <laughs> oh, brag. Good. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, I was a full-grown um, twelve-year-old adult in um, 1997 because I had seen the movie Titanic, and it was really a coming-of-age moment for me. And so I saw those later Disney movies from the late 90s and early 2000s, but I just didn't gravitate toward them the way I did for like the earlier Disney Renaissance movies of like the late 80s and earlier 90s. So yeah, I'd only seen Lilo and Stitch once and I remember liking it, um, but I just, I don't know, I never revisited it. But it's another one of those movies that I wish I had because I was like sleeping on it this whole time. This movie's so funny. It's so heartwarming. It's so endearing. Like it's just, it's really lovely. And yeah, I feel like I, I missed out on two decades worth of, of you know, Lilo and watching Stitch this movie. Delight. If I was not touring right now, I would have my Stitch t-shirt on um wow which is a hand-me-down from my younger brother who is also a big Lilo and Stitch fan Aww. and we also watched um we also watched the the animated series on the Disney channel what a moment where it's like you could just I mean there was a million there was like a bunch of directive videos I remember watching Stitch Lilo and Stitch 2 Stitch has a glitch I don't remember oh, one thing that happens yeah. in it but it happened that one was sad oh no even the first one the first one was sad too this I forget how sad. like sad these films are there are cry moments for sure um yeah and then there's also Lilo sorry Leroy and Stitch oh I didn't see that one <laughs> and then there's something called Stitch the movie so Stitch gets his own spinoff, I guess. There's also an anime version. Yes. Oh, no kidding. With it, with no Lilo. Yeah, they have it take place in Okinawa. So instead of mm. it, Lilo, I for, I don't know what her name is, but yeah, it takes place in um Okinawa. Got it. The history. Oh, the history of this movie is fascinating. There was a recent um YouTube video that came out from a YouTuber I like. I don't know what her real name is, but her username is Modern Girls. Mm. And I think it was in light of the um, all the casting announcements for the live action movie, which I, I would also love to talk about. Mm -hmm. But she sort of did sort of a history of the Lulu and Stitch franchise. And it um, I didn't realize because I think I aged out of it somewhere in the middle. But as as you go on, they slowly phase out Lilo to the point by the time you get to Leroy and Stitch. <sighs> You're just like, we're, as, I don't know, she, she slowly kind of moved out of the franchise, which sucks because it's she's like how the minions are taking over and those three orphan girls well, are like cares barely, about, I mean, no offense to the three orphan <laughs> girls, but it's like, they're no Lilo. They're trying to do yeah. what Lilo's doing, but they're not, they're not really doing it. Anyways. Yeah. Well, shall we get into the recap and go from there? Let's do it. Um, actually, let's take a quick break Ooh. and then... We'll do that recap. We'll be right back. Mm -hmm. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Uh, Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in in a different aspect of my life now. So, How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so Lilo and Stitch. Uh, We open on Planet Turo at the Galactic Federation headquarters, where an alien scientist, Dr. Jumba, is on trial for illegal genetic experiments. God, you can really <laughs> not tell... remember this is how this movie opens. <laughs> the first 10 minutes of this movie, I totally blacked out. It's fun. But you're like, it is. What? <laughs> I also, as just like there's all these little things in these movies, or at this movie in particular, where... It's like, oh, whoever wrote this movie clearly grew up during the Cold War because the alien is Russian coded. Yeah. And oh, that was German for a sec. I get those <laughs> accents mixed up. It's kind of Don't vague, it. but it's yeah, it's some Eastern European vaguely accent. Eastern European. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, even in Disney Alien Land, um, we're not over the Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Right. There's also that weird. Did, did either of you read about um, 
like the 9-11 shift that happened because of this movie. Yes. Yes. That yes. was... They had to completely change a scene, which also makes sense because like even in the... um, Sorry, spoiler, but like in the film... Lilo even said, like, there's no big cities there, so why would you animate a big city on Kauai? Like, it would make sense on Oahu because we have the big cities here, but Kauai is a little bit more, like, smaller town. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that they, like, changed it. But also, I wasn't aware, like, yeah, I think if you were to animate, like, an airplane flying through buildings, especially after 9-11 recently happened, I think it's going to, like, kind of shock people in yeah. the wrong it's way. poor taste. But I feel like I remember watching that when i was a kid at one point maybe i had some like special dvd that showed it i don't know but <laughs> oh maybe like deleted scene or like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the yeah. history of 9-11 i mean well we're not going to get into the history of 9-11 but like 9-11 movie facts are always fascinating to me because it's like mm. the change in lilo and stitch the fact that during the movie The Master of Disguise, they were shooting the turtle turtle scene on 9-11, and then they took a 10-minute break and then resumed shooting the turtle turtle scene. Oh, my um, God. And, and the fact that um, cartoons are allowed to hijack commercial planes again because that happens in Minions 2 Rise of Gru. <laughs> they, they don't hit anything. It's a safe flight. But yeah. the Minions should it, not be yes. flying the plane. <laughs> no i'm just i'm laughing at how often we've brought up the minions sorry <laughs> sorry 20 minutes in okay okay so they're at the galactic federation yes 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 um so this dr jumba has created a new species this little six-legged blue guy who we will come to know as stitch eventually he is fireproof bulletproof he has super strength and the brain of a supercomputer and his only instinct is to destroy everything it touches also this creature is voiced by chris sanders who co-wrote and co-directed the movie along with dean deploy uh if you're wondering if those are two white guys yes yes, they sure Mm -hmm. are as with every (laughs) disney movie about a non-white culture it is inexplicably directed by two white guys Last Minions reference, I promise. (laughs) Um, I'll I'll allow it. The director of Minions also does all of the voices of the Minions. Interesting parallel. Right. All right. Uh That will be the end of my contributions, (laughs) Minion-wise. Yes, yes. Um, Okay, so the Grand Councilwoman of the Galactic Federation has Dr. Jumba arrested, and she arranges for the creature to be banished to a desert asteroid far off in outer space but before this can happen the creature hijacks a ship escapes and crash lands on earth specifically hawaii the grand councilwoman is trying to figure out how to extract the creature from earth and bring it back to planet toro and there are a lot of fun jokes about how humans are weak and fragile and not very smart and how these aliens are using earth to rebuild the mosquito population <laughs> so funny the grand councilwoman sends dr jumba to extract the creature saying that if he's successful he can have his freedom back and she also sends along this guy pleakley uh, the resident expert on all things planet earth to accompany dr jumba he's yeah. such an icon Truly <laughs> very funny, voiced by Kevin McDonald, Kevin McDonald. from Kids in the Hall, mm-hmm. Canadian legend. Yes, 
Yes. Cut to Hawaii, where we meet Lilo, voiced by Davy Chase, a young girl who is late for a dance rehearsal because she was feeding Pudge the fish a peanut butter sandwich. Uh, she has a very active imagination, and she's a bit of a misfit among the other girls. We then meet Lilo's older sister, Nani, who I think is around like 18, 19, 20. Yeah, she's supposed to be like late teens, early 20s. Mm -hmm. Voiced by Tia Carrera, Lilo is in a bad mood and has locked Nani out of their house right when a social worker named Mr. Bubbles, voiced by <laughs> Ving Rames, doing like a Pulp Fiction bit question mark <laughs> yeah like doing his character from pulp fit he looks more like secret service than a yeah. social worker in my head that like had some sort of meaningful like that came all the way around i it i guess it does come all the way around but i'm just like why i mean it's a cartoon for children is the answer i'm like why is <laughs> this man wearing a suit like a fucking tuxedo to be a social worker and why does he only and the least i mean it's like and it's so unrealistic that he as a social worker would only have one case that he's working on social workers are famously mm. overworked but he is seemingly i mean well, we'll talk about this later but like of how this movie sort of um deals with portraying social work and and the government's attitude towards mm. social work but he's seemingly just like mm -hmm. kind of stalking nani waiting for something to go wrong as opposed to offering yeah. any sort of meaningful support um and it's like well clearly you have the time to be helpful but instead you're just sort of maliciously following this 19 year old who is doing everything <laughs> she can around good use of government mm -hmm. funds love that right <laughs> yeah so Mr. Bubbles shows up to observe them. Nani is Lilo's guardian after their parents died in a car accident. Um, and she's like Lilo's sole caretaker. Mr. Bubbles is not impressed with Nani's parenting and basically says, you have three days to show me that you're a fit guardian. And then he leaves. Nani and Lilo argue. Nani is upset with Lilo for misbehaving and making her look bad in front of Mr. Bubbles. Lilo Ving is Rames. upset that... No one wants to look yes. bad in front of Ving Rhames. I understand. No. <laughs> uh, Lilo is upset that people treat her differently and don't want to be her friend. Uh, but that night, the sisters make up and then something falls out of the sky and lands near their house. Lilo thinks it's a shooting star, so she makes a wish that she will finally make a friend. An angel. An angel. <laughs> the and best cuts angel to stitch you have. laughing maniacally. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh. Right, because the thing that oh. fell out of the sky was Stitch's spaceship, and I he's immediately them. captured and winds up in the pound, or like a like a pet adoption place, where Lilo and Nani are there to adopt a dog. I I because I like Nani, kind of connected well, because Nani overheard Lilo really wanting a friend wanting and a friend saying, and well, she's like what better friend i'll than get you a dog friend a radioactive dog <laughs> yes <laughs> so stitch makes himself look more like a dog so that lilo will adopt him and lilo loves him and she names him stitch i love that she gives no explanation i'm just like yeah his name is clearly stitch she was so right yeah. to say that i figured it must have been something from maybe like 
something relating to her parents because when the like Mm. pet adoption lady is like that's not a name nani goes like shut the fuck up like in iceland (laughs) right (laughs) so i i figured it must have some special significance to lilo Mm -hmm. based on nani's reaction true also kids just like name random things i've taught kids and i actually did like a little vet school um lesson and they all had like little stuffed dogs and i was like okay pick out whatever names and they came up with the weirdest names ever (laughs) and of course i'm not gonna be like those are not real names i'm like yeah sure just write it down and they're like how do i spell it i'm like I don't know. It's your you name. You made it up. <laughs> Guess. That's yeah. the best. But Stitch is a really good, like, symbolic name of, like, tying the Ohana together. Exactly. It's- Whoa, I didn't even think of that. I was just like, wow, yes, he's so Stitch. Wow. Yeah, that's true. It's so deep. Okay, so Lilo adopts Stitch. But, oh no, Dr. Jumba and Pleakley have arrived on Earth and are tracking Stitch. They're also trying their best to blend in. It's hilarious. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lilo and Stitch are hanging out. They're getting to know each other. But Stitch is very badly behaved. Uh, He's frustrated that he's stuck on this island and he keeps trying to find his way back into outer space. Well, because he's using, he's essentially using Lilo as a meat shield when they first meet because they can't, the aliens can't capture him when he's near Lilo because something, something mosquitoes. (laughs) But they're, I love the early, I don't know, this movie is just so thoughtful in the way it like shows their relationship building. And Mm -hmm. you see Lilo treats Stitch though, kind of the way that Nani treats her. And it's just like a lot of good kid stuff. Yeah. And I uh, I for, I didn't remember this from since the last time I watched it maybe two years ago. But that scene where she draws a picture of Stitch and then it's like very red and she's like, "Your badness level is here. We need to work on that. <laughs> it's so high. <laughs> I love that, that. Is so funny. Oh, she's the best. Um, I also like how they set up that Lilo and Stitch are similar and compatible. Like there's a reason that that she at least is drawn to him because he bites whatever captain gone to or i'll bring him up later but there's this other like alien guy who was responsible for trying to like exile stitch but he messes up but stitch bites him and then lilo bites one of her classmates um myrtle yeah (laughs) she deserves it she is bad i liked that they i feel like disney movies now generally and i'm like so dubious about Disney reboots. I'm like, I bet they'll change it for the reboot. But the movie did not bother to um, like redeem Myrtle by the end of the movie. You're like, yeah, this kid's kind of an asshole. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's just true. <laughs> well, I know why. It's because I, in, well, I think it's in the Stitch has a glitch film. It's like we kind of Ooh. hear, I forgot what exactly the occupation her dad works, but Myrtle and her family are supposed to represent a very, like, Haole family here. Like, mm. you know, the Haole family that thinks, like, they can do whatever they want. They own the place. Mm. They're very rude. I've <laughs> I've had a deal with a few myrtles in my life growing up. And I wanted to sure. scrap them as well. But my parents were like, <laughs> no, you're going to get in trouble. But they were lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not a fan. Fuck Myrtle. Okay, so... One day, Lilo and Stitch visit Nani at work. She's a server at a luau-style restaurant. 
also there's a guy named uh, David, voiced by Jason Scott Lee. I love David. David. <laughs> I had a crush on David. He's very sweet. He has a crush on Nani. And so does she, because Lila read her diary, and she said that he yeah. had a nice butt and fancy hair. <laughs> yes. And I love how he does not care about the butt part. He was like... <gasps> My hair is fancy. It's like he knows. He knows that his butt looks fine. He just yeah. he's surprised about the hair. <laughs> he, yeah. he stresses he's about the hair. About his hair. <laughs> um. So he asks Nani out, but she's like, ah, "Now's not a good time." Then Nani gets fired because Stitch causes a bit of a commotion at the restaurant, but only because he puts Kevin McDonald in his mouth. <sighs> yeah, it's they're trying to capture him. Yeah, so. Nani goes to take Stitch back to the kennel, but Lilo is like, Dad said that Ohana means family, and family means no one gets left behind, and Stitch is part of the family now, so we can't abandon him. Mm. Yeah, gets left behind or forgotten. There's so many sequences in this movie where you're just like, all right, I guess I'm just going to cry for 20 minutes. That's (laughs) so good. So then Mr. Bubbles shows up again, knowing that Nani lost her job, he sees Stitch misbehaving and he's like, the next time I see y'all, you need to have a job and your pet needs to be a model citizen. And then there's a montage where Nani applies to a bunch of jobs and Lilo teaches Stitch to be like Elvis because she thinks Elvis was a model citizen. <laughs> but everything goes wrong. Stitch is still misbehaving and Nani still can't find a job. Then David takes them surfing to cheer them up. And it seems like Stitch is starting to learn to be less destructive and better behaved. But while they're surfing, the aliens try to capture Stitch. And Nani thinks that Stitch drags Lilo underwater. And Mr. Bubbles sees this like near drowning. Because he has nothing else to do with his goddamn life. (laughs) And just so happens to like avoid the aliens. Yeah. He's like. It's like open your eyes, Mr. Bubbles. He's full tuxedo on the beach. He stresses me out. (laughs) (laughs) Like He's not remotely incognito at any point. <laughs> so because he sees all this catastrophe happening he tells nani that he's going to take lilo away the following morning nani is devastated uh, back home she sings lilo a song to say goodbye uh, aloha oi mm. meanwhile stitch realizes this whole thing was his fault and he feels bad so he leaves in search of a new family But Dr. Jumba finds him in the forest and starts chasing him. So Stitch runs back to Lilo and Nani's house. Meanwhile, David has found Nani a job. So she goes to check it out with him and leaves Lilo at home. Right when Stitch and Dr. Jumba come crashing in and destroy the house. Mr. Bubbles shows up to take Lilo away. But oh no, she and Stitch get captured by that guy, uh, Captain Gontu. They're put into like an evil space tic-tac and they're (laughs) disappeared. Right. Because the Grand Councilwoman sent Gontu to Earth to get the job done because Dr. Jumba and Pleakley were so incompetent. Yeah. This movie does sort of assume that we're like interested. I guess much like the Star Wars prequels, they think that we're interested in like 
intergalactic politics in a way that I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't care if Captain Gontu gets his job back. Who the fuck is that? (laughs) I want more Nani. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Whatever. He's there. He is there. And he loads Lilo and Stitch on his spaceship. But Stitch manages to escape just before Gontu blasts off into space with Lilo. And Nani sees this and she goes to Jumba and Pleakley and tells them to bring Lilo back. And they're like, mm, we can't. We're just here for the creature. Also, they call Stitch Experiment 626. Six. So they're like, we're just here for Experiment 626. But then Stitch convinces them to help. And they go on a rescue mission. And Stitch saves Lilo by hijacking a fuel truck, driving it into a volcano, which creates a huge explosion that blasts him onto Gantu's ship, where Stitch is able to release and rescue Lilo. Look, some don't agree with his methods, but they but it's he was it is he was effective. It's very destructive. To he was effective. <laughs> yeah. So then the Grand Councilwoman shows up and is about to take Stitch away, but she realizes that he's not the monster she thought he was. That he belongs to this family and they all love each other. So she lets him stay on Earth, and the movie ends with Lilo, Nani, and Stitch all being reunited, and with the help of Jumba, Pleakley, Mr. Bubbles, who are all like in their friend group now, uh, and David. I feel like they really let Jumba off the hook, ultimately. <laughs> yeah, um, for but, sure. But sure, he's there, <laughs> but he looks funny because he's a monster. But- He's nice now or something. He and Pleakley are married. Yeah. And they all rebuild Lilo and Nani's house together. And then we get this like kind of credit sequence where there's a bunch of like photographs of them doing different things, celebrating different holidays, traveling to different places. Dancing a Merry Monarch, which I'm like, wow. Mm. We, we also just had Merry Monarch um, recently, like a couple weeks uh-huh. ago. And I'm like, I cannot oh. imagine them allowing an alien on there but hey why not well you know you never know um yeah and so that's how the movie ends with them as a as a happy family so let's take another quick break and we'll come back to discuss Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues 
pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Lily, is there anything that you would like to talk about right off the bat? We'll sort of let you lead us and and we'll sort of jump in. Yeah, so... Obviously, I watched this film a lot when I was a kid, and I didn't really think about, like, kind of the deeper messages behind it and the symbolism Mm -hmm. and all of that. I just thought, oh, Stitch is so funny, and oh, it takes place where I live. This is so cool. Um, But as I got Mm -hmm. older and I would rewatch it, I really, like, appreciated seeing kind of the – they clearly did research and um, the details that they put in the film. Of course, Mm -hmm. again, this is a film directed by two white men, and this was made in, like, Mm -hmm. 2002 when we don't really have kind of this awareness of, like, authenticity and representing, you know, BIPOC communities and cultures. Mm -hmm. But I would say for its time, it did pretty good. I mean, they – I remember um, I was sharing these videos on my TikTok a while ago about – because, like – there was like this trend going on TikTok where people were dancing to the um, Kalakaua or Hemele Nolilo song, which mm-hmm. it is a real oh, okay. um, chant, but they turned it into like a song in this film. So how you would actually chant the Oh Kalakaua Heinoa is very different. Um, it's mm-hmm. more like okay. Kahiko traditional style. But anyways, um, there was like a trend going on where people were like dancing to that song on TikTok, but they were just like doing whatever the hell they wanted to they weren't dancing to like you know actual like lyrics or they were they were just like doing random movements that weren't even hula some of them were like tahitian movements as well i'm like that's not what we do and i was trying to tell people like hula you dance to the words it's not the, the movements you know bring the words to life so you can't just like make up whatever movements you want to and call it hula because that's not hula and of course Mm -hmm. people were saying this is just a movie it's not real and i'm like well Mm -hmm. it's depicting my culture so it is real and they were like well that's how they danced in the movie and i'm like no they did it and so i pulled up the receipts of um the directors like talking to kumuam 
Markeli Ho'omalu, and they were like visiting his halau, animating how he would play the ipuheke, so that like double gourd that yeah. they play to like keep the beat, mm-hmm. and then also like videotaping the hula dancers, and they like would draw like they drew like over like the video, or I think they drew it like you know by like looking at it, but yeah, you know they wanted to like see the actual movements, and again if you look at that film and you look at the movements, it corresponds to like. The words, you know, mm-hmm. Kalakoa Heinoa, his name is Kalakoa, and then so on and so forth. Like Pua's flower, so you see them doing like this kind of movement where this is supposed to signify flower. So I was trying mm-hmm. to show people, like, they did their research, like, they were trying to depict our culture for a reason. It's not random, but yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, I was re watching it again and just looking at, oh, they showed this so well. And then I was listening to, like, I think there was like one part in the film where the hula teacher was speaking Hawaiian to the students, like the kids. And mm-hmm. I kind of found like a little kind of a funny translation that they did. I think mm-hmm. I don't know if there was like Hawaiian language experts on the film that mm-hmm. kind of doubled and triple checked some of the translations. So after um, Lilo started scrapping Myrtle and like, you know, punching her yeah. and he was trying to tell every the kids to calm down. And then he tell he tries to tell the kids like stop talking. But how he said it, it was so weird. He says, <laughs> which doesn't mean like don't speak. It just says like doesn't speak. Like you would use okay. that for like, you know, Aole, you know, like they don't speak. If you want to tell someone like don't speak, you can say like my like don't speak, or you can say ha mau, which we mostly say that to children, like ha mau, which means like silence, okay. or you can mm-hmm. say like ho'omalie, which means to calm down. So I just thought it was funny. I was like, this is like a very, very literal translation, but it's not a command. Um, but the grammar isn't quite there. <laughs> yeah, but I was also excited because I'm, you know, a, a new. Um, Hawaiian language speaker no one in my family speaks Hawaiian so I'm like the first in my family to learn it especially with my um, degree uh, we had to learn Hawaiian um, mm-hmm. so I was really impressed that I was able to watch this and think wow I can correct them yeah. Ooh, Disney um, but <laughs> but they did some like you know the other Hawaiian language was pretty spot on and also appreciated hearing the pigeon speaking so um tia carrera voicing nani speaking yeah. in a pigeon accent mm-hmm. and then um the guys who like ran over stitch and how he ended up in the the animal shelter yeah. although i will yeah. say that's probably the most forced pigeon i've ever heard but interesting. it's okay i think some of them might be but i think that was like a first take or something like well we went hit i'm like <laughs> okay that's very very forced very theatrical but um okay. But yeah, I loved hearing just like pigeon being spoken in a Disney film because mm-hmm. um, not so much when I was growing up, but when my parents were growing up and even like my grandparents, first of all, speaking Hawaiian wasn't allowed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I think like the early 1980s that they started offering Hawaiian language like in schools and they started um, they started having like Hawaiian language immersion schools. But before then, there was a ban, so you weren't allowed to teach or speak Hawaiian um, after the overthrow of the Hawaiian kingdom. And also, like, if you spoke pidgin, which is our Creole language, so it's, like, Hawaiian English has some, like, Japanese, Filipino, Korean, Chinese influences mm-hmm. there. If you spoke pidgin, you were seen as, like, unintelligent. You were seen as illiterate. Um, Ridiculous. So yeah. it was just basically, like, English only. So hearing in, like, a Disney film, like, pigeon being spoken and, like, Hawaiian being yeah. spoken, even though it was, like, kind of, like, little, not so much. Um, minimal, yeah. It was, but it was, like, really amazing just mm-hmm. hearing that um, because, I don't know, it's, like, 
validating our language and showing that it can be beautiful and that we speak it here. And just because we speak pigeon or speak wine doesn't mean that we're not smart. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. I was also kind of struggling to see because there was a a really great oral history of Lilo and Stitch that came out a couple of years ago. And then there was also a documentary, but it was tragically two hours long. I did not finish it before (laughs) we started recording. Um, But I was, I was interested in what the research process was like for the community. And I wasn't able to find, yeah, I, I also was not able to find specifics on language the most specific information i could find was that tia carrera was really um informative and it was more that like there were not exclusively because davi chase it's not her fault she's a kid and she was also the girl from the ring so good for her what a wild 2002 for her she also voiced um chihiro in spirited away which is like my favorite right Right? Yeah. yeah in the english dub but they, you know, they they did not cast a uh, young Hawaiian girl to voice Lilo, which they acknowledge in that because the the oral history was done twenty years later, and they acknowledge it, but they still are sort of like skirting the subject in a way I found a little funky, where they were like, "Well, I agree, there were no child actors in Hawaii." I was like, "That's just not true. <laughs> That's just not true." So you find them, you yeah, you just find them. Harder. Yeah, I think the only I think the only Native Hawaiian voice actor in that film is Jason Scott Lee, who voiced is David mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure also the voice actor for the hula teacher and some like background characters also but yeah Tia Carrera mm-hmm. even though she's born and raised here she's a local she speaks pidgin um mm-hmm. she is not native Hawaiian right. ethnically mm-hmm. which is something that we see all the time especially in movies from this era where this movie for example characters who are native hawaiian are for the most part not especially like the main characters like the core group of people who you spend the most time with you get to care for they are for the most part not voiced by native hawaiian actors Mm -hmm. which is just frustrating for a number of reasons well and Um, it's like still going on right i mean that's been a and i'm curious on your thoughts on this lily of like that's a conversation that is going on in in a slightly different but not very different way with the live action reboot of this movie where every casting announcement has very understandably sparked another conversation about Disney whitewashing and colorism in in their casting. Well, when they casted Maya Kealoha for Lilo, of course, I was like, she's so cute. She looks just like Lilo and she dances hula. She is Native Hawaiian. Mm -hmm. And so we were all like really excited for her. And, you know, she's like, she's not. An actress. I say this as an actress myself. Like anyone can act. It's just you know, obviously the more experience you have, I think the more confident you are. But when it mm-hmm. comes to like acting and using your emotions, like anyone can do that. Especially with like children. I mean, like yeah, yeah they, and, like, they have to start somewhere. <laughs> especially like if you're playing a character that you can relate to, like culturally wise or mm-hmm. whatever, right. then it doesn't feel like acting. It's just you. You know, I would prefer to mm-hmm. cast someone who is connected to the character than like an actor. Right. right. The idea of like an eight, looking at an eight-year-old and being like, "She's too green," and you're like, "Yeah, she's too. <laughs> she's she's eight. Yeah, she's what eight. are you talking about?" Yeah. Um. Then they released the casting of Nunny, which, of course, a lot of us were like, "She looks nothing like a Nunny," but 
a lot of us thought she was um, part Native Hawaiian. So we were like, at least they casted someone who is Native Hawaiian. Um, Would have been nice if it had someone that looked more like Nani, um, especially because, you know, the animators designed her to look like that for a reason. Um, You don't see that kind of like, especially in the previous Disney films, like a lot of like the brown Disney girls, you know, had like tiny noses skinny bodies very like petite european centric features european centric yeah so nunny is kind of one of the first very indigenous looking characters or they embraced her like curvy features and her indigenous features and Mm -hmm. even though she's not an official disney princess a lot of us call her like our first hawaiian disney princess Mm -hmm. she's gorgeous um and helped me a lot with like loving my own features Mm -hmm. but you know, we thought, okay, would have been nice to have someone who actually looked like her play her, but at least she's Native Hawaiian. And then my friend released those receipts in her TikTok that she isn't Native Hawaiian, and we're like, well, that's yeah. an issue. It's like mm-hmm. Doogie Kamealoha all over again, just cast a half-white, half-Asian girl to play a Native Hawaiian character instead of, like, I don't know, an actual Native Hawaiian. Um, because yeah. they were able to find Maya Kealoha, so I'm like, why can't she find someone for nani um you would think yeah but i know sydney is born and raised in Kauai, um and you know she grew up there and i have friends who know her that like went to school with her and all that it's a very small community here so people know her and i guess like some people thought her family was hawaiian but it would be kind of unfortunate to like know that she lied about being hawaiian to get this role because yeah. i also have friends who auditioned for Nani and the casting directors told them specifically they were looking for a native Hawaiian actress or like a Polynesian mm-hmm. Pacific Islander actress yeah. so I think it's kind of like there's both parties at fault one the casting directors for not like properly looking at Sydney's background to see if she is native Hawaiian but mm-hmm. also like Sydney going for a role that's for a native Hawaiian actress especially mm-hmm. again like you look at Doogie Kamealoho you look at like other you look at like Emma Stone in Aloha as well I where <sighs> yeah and you look at other films, like I know in White Lotus, like they actually have Native Hawaiian actors play the men, but it just seems like in a lot of films or TV shows, um, when they have like a Native Hawaiian character who's a female, like they can't find a girl to play her. It's like they want to have like a Asian person with a tan or like, I don't know, just someone who doesn't yeah. like isn't Native Hawaiian, which and there's some discussion going on in our community where it's like, well, at least she's from here. So we should give it that and we should be you know, not getting too upset about it. But that just still takes opportunities away from actual native Hawaiian actors and people. Yeah. And I'm not denying that like Sydney can't be culturally Hawaiian because she did grow up here. I Mm -hmm. think, yes, there's like, you can be Hawaiian like genetically and you can be Hawaiian culturally or you can be both. Like I know a lot of people Mm -hmm. here who aren't genetically native Hawaiian, but they grew up with Hawaiian culture. They speak Hawaiian and all that. So I'm not going to say like you can't be Hawaiian, but I think for the sake of just casting this character should have gone to like someone who is native Hawaiian, because again, we are very barely represented and Mm -hmm. my friends who go to auditions and they try to like get roles for them and they never get them. There's Mm -hmm. clearly an issue going on with the um, casting. Um, Mm -hmm. And now on to David. So I actually know both of the actors who were up for David. So there was Kahio and then now Kaipo is playing him. Mm -hmm. I was in like university classes, like acting classes with them. I did like some acting stuff with them. Um, Yeah, I know at first Kahio was casted for David and some people also were criticizing that because of colorism, but also his features were not really looking like David's. Mm -hmm. And then 
all of you know the news of him using the Ensler, yeah. you know, back in 2013, but then also um, on the Spotify playlist, which mm-hmm. I didn't know those were recent because I don't use Spotify. So I'm like, I remember mm-hmm. when I was looking those up, I was trying to look up the playlist and I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to look up, okay, what year was this made? Because for the 2013 one, he was like a minor during then, which I'm not excusing like minors who say that word are off like horrible, but sure. You know, if he was, like, saying this now as an adult, then I'd be like, okay. Right. And I can just speak from, like, living here. Like, people aren't very aware of a lot of things outside of Hawaii. It's not really, like, they don't really care about these things, which they should care. I'm not saying, like, that's mm-hmm. a excuse. But there are people here that don't know a lot about, like, U.S. history or they don't know about, like, the very apparent, like, anti-black racism mm-hmm. i mean it's like taught here but not to like the biggest extent especially if you went to public school here it's awful i can't go on that tangent but it's mean, barely <laughs> taught on the mainland united yeah. states as well like yeah there there is just a lack of awareness here but nowadays with you know more access to resources and social media and more education i definitely hear less kids and less people using those kinds of racial slurs or even in general just saying very insensitive things now because i remember when i was a kid people would say so much insensitive things and i'm like don't say that that's bad and they're like oh are you like an american or whatever i'm like no you should just care but um but yeah so they fired him because of those things and i completely understand that but my friend kaipo is now playing david and i'm excited for him as well he's a very good actor it's kind of funny i'm like i read all like the news articles that show him and just seeing a lot of people like thirst after my friend i'm like i I mean i don't blame them he is a very handsome guy but it's just so funny because they're Mm -hmm. like oh he's so handsome he looks so much like david i'm like wait till they know how much of like a goofball he is because (laughs) david is also a bit of a goof yeah i was like perfect perfect david (laughs) true but he is he's a major goofball but in all the right Mm -hmm. ways kaipo Mm -hmm. if you're hearing this i love you Thank you for that insight. I mean, I, I, I feel like it, it is, I don't know, it, like, that's such a good point about just how Native Hawaiian actresses in, in particular are just like erased and so easily erased, even in, in 2002 of just like, well, we couldn't find anybody. And I feel like that is almost preying on other people's ignorance where they're like, well, I maybe mm-hmm. that's true when it's so demonstrably untrue like you yourself are living proof that it is not true yeah and disney has so many resources like they were able to find auli'i cravayo for moana in 2016 and she didn't do any like films prior to that i think she probably did some theater but she went to kamehameha school so of course she knows how to sing and Mm. they're all about like the music and the singing there um but yeah, they like found her and now she's a established actress and she's mm-hmm. doing other projects. So they have the resources. They just Absolutely. don't want to use it sometimes. They, yeah. they just, just don't want to be bothered. Yeah. 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 Just imagine how many talented people there are out there that they can, mm-hmm. you know, it's good for them too, business wise. Like they can be like, oh, we find so many like talented people. I'm like, just, yeah, just do it. Right. Just do that. <laughs> Put in the effort. Um, similar to the missteps in casting. And like, again, like Tia Carrera, like she's a great actor. You know, we're not impugning her talent or anything like that. It's just like native characters should be played by native actors. 
similar to that is the conception of this movie and right who it was made by not specific to hawaii at all right they originally wanted to set the movie in kansas oh yeah Uh, oh i didn't even read that yeah so i i'm pulling a lot of this from an oral history of lilo and stitch uh from vulture so basically um co-director chris sanders had an idea for a story about an alien who lived in the forest among animals and then a creative director at disney thomas shoemaker was like okay, but what if you made it an alien living among people? That's more interesting than an alien living among animals. And also, the forest is just too much green, so we need more color. So Chris Sanders responds to that in this oral history by saying, quote, I had a map of Hawaii up on my wall. I'd been on vacation there. One day I thought, wait a minute, why couldn't I just set it there? I didn't know anyone at that point who was Hawaiian that I could consult with, so I turned to a roadmap and I just started pulling names. I found Lilo Lane and I found the word yeah. Nani on there, and these <laughs> sounded like names to me. Then I went away to Palm Springs and spent a week holed up in a hotel room, unquote, and then it was there that he... I think started developing the story and then like created the design of stitch. He like did sketches and build a model and stuff like that. So basically he was just like, Hmm, I've been to Hawaii on vacation. What if I just pull random names from a map and then I make a movie about it? He got half of that. Correct. Nunny is like a very common name here. I've Mm -hmm. never met anyone named Lilo. That's a very unique name. Also, I love like reading online where people like say, Oh, Lilo means lost or to become lost and she kind of becomes lost well there's another meaning to lilo and it means to like transform or to become something so mm-hmm. if i say like ua lilo vau ikauka that means i became a doctor um so mm. like becoming something so i think that's kind of cool i don't know if they like named her that because of those meanings i think again just i doubt oh, lilo land <laughs> yeah lilo is like a verb so i'm like oh you name your well actually you know, in our language, like verbs can be nouns and nouns can be verbs depending on like mm-hmm. how you mm-hmm. use them. But yeah, I've never met. I know a lot of nunnies, but I don't know a lot of Lilos. I don't think I know anyone <laughs> named Lilo. Yeah, it did seem like a kind of randomly lucky guess. Yeah, the the um the documentary I watched also expanded on the fact that they were looking for up until this decision to set it in, in Hawaii uh, was to put it somewhere that there just wasn't a major city uh, or like there wasn't a huge commercial airport um, so that Stitch could sort of not be detected for a while, I guess. But they originally set it in Kansas, but apparently they were like, that's too much like the Wizard of Oz. Pick another location. <laughs> and that's how this, so it is like, it's so, I mean, I'm, I'm, certainly very happy that they landed on the location that they did but it was so yeah just white director randomness uh just looking around being like and it's like those are generally the people making some of the more big creative decisions in children's media and like we've talked about a million times on this show even when I mean, these these movies, I guess like this era of Disney is so wildly hit and miss. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that Disney's priorities are still based on all of these recent controversies, not in the right place because they're never 
the first option is never to hire a native Hawaiian director for a project like this, which is the clear answer is like a native Hawaiian director who is excited about doing this. Like that is, it's the easiest thing in the world. And And, they can, they have resources to look for a native Hawaiian director. Like I was actually talking to my husband about this. I'm like, why don't they, um, because we have, I don't know if you guys have heard of HIF before or the Hawaii International Film Festival. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why they can't find directors from there who've like, I don't know. I think there's an award show for HIF. Um, I, sorry, I've never watched a lot of it. Um, well, it's always it's like, it's almost like they definitely could. <laughs> yeah, they could do that. Or if they yeah. wanted to have a more like established director that has more experience and all that. That is like Pacific Islander. I was even saying, why didn't they get Taika Waititi to direct this? Because he mm-hmm. he's Pacific Islander, he's Maori, and mm-hmm. he is definitely um, aware of Hawaiian culture and more culturally sensitive. And mm-hmm. but I think it would have been nice to have like a Native Hawaiian director or someone who definitely. is like Pacific Islander. But spoiler alert: it's directed by a white guy again. <sighs> and yeah, like director, screenwriter for an animated film, like. I don't know exactly who all is responsible for like character design, but whoever's like designing characters, like these should be native Hawaiian people. And okay. So Chris Sanders, another quote from him, Dean and I have no business telling a Hawaiian story. You can tell stories like that, but then you find people who do have a business there. So we reached out to as many people as we could that lived there. And it's like, yeah, you're right. You don't have, a business telling a Hawaiian story, but you did it anyway. Why? Well, I guess that's a. I, I I'm interested in your feelings on that, Lily, because I feel like there's so many like, especially because this is like 2002, where there's like Disney is not hiring Native Hawaiian directors to direct any project, and so it's like, it feels to me as I was researching it, it's like the only way that a major Disney movie would take place in Hawaii in this era is if one of these random white guy directors chose that and then tried to allocate research towards it, which is absolutely not, shouldn't be the praxis or the solution, but it feels like for the time that is the most that was being done within the major Hollywood system. So I don't even want like, I, I like obviously the co-directors of this movie know they have no business making a Hawaiian movie, but they, I don't know. Like I don't, it's such a weird fraught topic because I I do I was honestly surprised based on other you know Disney movies we've covered that they did research at all and the bars on on the absolute fucking floor it's it's beneath (laughs) the floor the bars in hell um for this sort of research but I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm interested in, in both your opinions on that because it's I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Caitlin. And I'm also like, I don't know how else a movie like a Disney movie would have taken place in Hawaii in 2002. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just it's Hollywood. It's like a there's a certain network of people. So they want people that they know to direct. I also think mm-hmm. a lot of it is like white savior complex. So they think like we don't mm. have the right to tell this Hawaiian story, but we're going to try really hard and really like we respect it so much. I'm like, well, if you really respect mm-hmm. it, then you would know that it's not your place and that you don't need yeah. to be right. the center of attention and that you can use your resources to let someone of that culture of that place tell it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I noticed like especially within my um 
studies in Hawaiian theater versus like I grew up with a very Western like theater background. You know, I did a bunch of Shakespeare, mm. learned Tennessee Williams, mm. all of that. Mm. And just with my upbringing in Western theater, it's very much about like, I'm the star. I want to be this main character. I want mm -hmm. the lights on me. I want, you know, I want the attention. Mm -hmm. But then in Hawaiian theater, it's all about telling the story. It's about the characters. Mm -hmm. What is the message you're trying to convey? Why now? Why me? All of that. Um, and a lot of in Hawaiian theater, we're telling stories about our ancestors or like our, mm -hmm. our home. So it just kind of made me rethink about like, why am I an actress? Why do I perform? Is it because I want to be the attention or is it because I want to help tell meaningful stories to help inspire mm -hmm. people? Mm -hmm. And I think it would be great if a lot of like, you know, these like Western media companies like Hollywood and Disney focused on that focused on the storytelling and not about ego the fame and the fortune right. which they're they're not the ego but they're not gonna do that um mm -hmm. yeah because a part of that ha they have to like reflect and think maybe i'm not the best person to tell this story so whoops i'm not right. gonna get the oscar for this film but i mean it's like you can mm -hmm. still be a part of it but just you should have like you can finance it <laughs> sir yeah finance <laughs> it or like you know if you want to have like because like also a thing about in Hawaiian theater there's not always one director mm. there's always like multiple directors having like multiple different perspectives and I don't know why like we need to have like films with just one director in it I would love to like see more films where they have like it's more of like a collaboration and like a team you don't need yeah. to have like yeah. the director because again it's about ego it's like I want to win it's the Oscar for best directing thing. not right, I yeah. want just me yeah it's like well why, why do you care about an award and not about the movie you're trying to tell <laughs> telling the best story you can tell right yeah it's like yeah, yeah. And, they, and they absolutely should have advocated for a native hawaiian director and even like you're saying lily even as a co-director that would have made worlds more sense than because i feel like that became the disney formula that did carry through if i'm remembering correctly that carried through to moana as well we still have two white co-directors directing an animated movie yeah. about Polynesian culture, but the sort of safeguard, which I'm glad it's there, but it can't be the, like the only way that native cultures are involved in the portrayal of their own culture is like, they're like, well, we allocated a lot of money and time to research. And it's like, but, but it always has to be inclusion at the top levels or it doesn't sustain like ever. Yeah. They definitely in Moana, they definitely did like, a lot better. Um, I remember watching mm -hmm. like this lot of document about their creation of it, and I do, mm -hmm. I do appreciate that they actually spent years traveling to. I don't know if it was months or years, but like traveling to the different Pacific Islands and meeting with mm -hmm. the community and learning how to mm -hmm. wayfind or learning how to make tapa, mm -hmm. making food, mm -hmm. fishing, um, performing arts and stuff. Again, two white directors and all that, but I actually was really surprised that in their whole team they actually also had like. Um, Pacific Islanders in there trying to help make decisions, although they weren't mm -hmm. allowed to make like final decisions. And I think there were some parts where yeah. they were trying to like push really hard to have these certain things. But Disney, of course, is like, no, but um, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then um, for the music, I love how they had Tevaka, Opataya Fua'i in there. And of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda, which I'm like, okay, that's random because he's not Pacifica <laughs> at all. But I mean, yeah, he makes good music, so... Why not? I, it would have been nice in like um, we know the way. If I didn't have to hear his voice, I would have loved to hear like hear Opataya's yeah. voice. 
an actual Pacifica in there, but um, that's why I listen to the Hawaiian dub or like the Maori or Tahitian dub of the films because I'm like, this sounds nicer. You're actually hearing the music in there. But yeah, I remember that like Moana kind of, especially with the casting of like all Pacific Islanders with the exception of like, um, what's his name? Um, Who plays Hey Hey? It's like that Tudic guy. Oh, um, Alan Tudic? Alan Tudic, yeah. Uh, (laughs) He's great. He's great. I love him. (laughs) But that set the standard. Like, Moana really set the standard of, like, okay, when you're going to make these films that have cultural, like, depictions, you should cast people accordingly. So they did that with, like, Coco. They Mm -hmm, did that with, mm -hmm. like, Encanto. They did not do that with, like, Ryan the Last Dragon. Um, Famously, mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah, like you said, it's kind of hit or miss. It's like you think they're doing really well, but then they like flop and then they do really well and then they like flop again. I'm like, they just need to find the correct formula and just go with it. Like, stop trying to, I don't know. But and then I was really looking forward to like the live action because I thought, oh, well, I mean, this could have been a great opportunity to correct some of the mistakes in the animated film and to cast native hawaiian more native hawaiian actors and actresses in here but then of course all the casting controversies and then who's directing it and all that i'm like okay no this is this is not it i'm just gonna keep watching the animated film (laughs) (laughs) well and it yeah it is frustrating to think that the 2002 version may very well be done more thoughtfully than a 2024 version and but it it goes back to like if there was inclusion, I feel like Disney would not be so consistently flopping on these issues all the fucking time if there was inclusion at the highest levels. But because it's still a bunch of largely, mostly white men, but also white women in, in these positions, mm-hmm. that they're never going to stop flopping. And it's like, right. it's it it drives me absolutely up a wall. And it's like, you're literally doing worse at the business you want to be in charge of because you're so fucking like eurocentric weirdos yeah they should have done it like turning red for example like having a chinese Mm -hmm. actress and she has done i think that bow pixar shorts with the dumpling oh my god that was so cute but Mm -hmm. like you know taking someone who is like a smaller director and then giving her an opportunity and really depicting the culture, having someone of that culture um, also with the same lived experiences being mm-hmm. a immigrant in Canada, Canada, um, to <laughs> tell the story. And, and it shows in the movie, like when you watch shows. the movie. Yeah. yeah. Still one of the biggest crimes of 2022 that Turning Red didn't get like a huge theater release. Yeah. Them putting that right on Disney Plus, I was like, I will never forgive ever come on i loved it i watched it so many times though i'm like so good. it was so good and of course people hated it because it was about teenage girls and anything about girls is poopy and all that i'm like <laughs> a movie about periods and it's like that is not what the movie's about even yeah it was like two it's a metaphor it was like two minutes talking about yeah. pyramids pyramids periods <laughs> sorry we in some pigeon, we call periods like pyramids. I hear my mom call it a lot. Oh, She's like, that's fun. You get your pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> that I I was um, babysitting a kid during my friend's wedding last year, who was, loved turning red, and I was like, "Hey, Maya, I was alive in 2002," and she was like, "Oh, <laughs> like she was like <laughs> disgusting." I was like, all right, cool. Never mind. I will see myself out. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it does take place in 2002, the same yeah. year that Lilo and Stitch, I think, also takes place 
as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's all connected. Lily, since you brought up the music in Moana, I was curious on your thoughts on the music in Lilo and Stitch, because there's also some interesting kind of like behind the scenes things happening there where so Alan Silvestri um, was hired to be the composer for this movie. You'll never believe it. Another white guy who um, I'm actually a big fan of. He um, what is he famous he, for? For me, I would say he's most famous for the Back to the Future score, but oh. he's got a pretty prolific career. He works with uh, Robert Zemeckis a lot. Got it. But you know, probably not the right person to compose a film with a lot of native Hawaiian music in it no (laughs) obviously and and it seems like the directors were like trying to do some research and people were like trying but when you read this oral history you come upon a lot of comments from the composer and the directors who were like oh I went to a virgin megastore looking for music uh, specifically Hawaiian music and you could find like two CDs of Hawaiian music. Oh, see, I felt like that quote, uh, I mean, not to excuse any of their behavior or hiring a white guy, but I felt like that was intended to illustrate the fact that Hawaiian music was extremely underrepresented in in the mainland US at that time. It was like sure. he was trying so- to do research and like literally could not because it was so underrepresented which is probably why they should have just went to hawaii and exactly. find native native hawaiian musicians right yeah which they did well, yeah i mean they did for like the kamehameha children's choir i really liked that they were in there um because again kamehameha schools are all about the music and the singing um they always have like a song contest like every year which if no one knows that I highly recommend it. These kids are so talented and, you know, singing Hawaiian music, dancing hula, just honoring the culture. But yeah, I mm-hmm. find that definitely, I mean, I liked the music. I like the music. It's very catchy. It's definitely very Elvis Presley, which I know a lot of people kind of associate Elvis Presley with Hawaii for some reason because of that movie or something blue hawaii and all that i honestly didn't know that because i hadn't seen i mean i haven't seen i don't know if i've seen any elvis movies but i was because that always felt very random to me but then when i was researching for this episode i was like i i don't i mean i don't maybe did did that feel like a choice that made sense to you it's a very it's a very boomer way of thinking of like music because i'm like not a lot of, I mean, again, Elvis is a very talented guy. We grew up listening to his music. It's very catchy, but, you know, he's also racist and, yeah. you know, has a very mm-hmm. problematic history. So I would not really associate with them with Hawaiian culture. I'm surprised they didn't, like, put Israel Kamaka Viva Ole on there. Brada is. He's the one that sang, like, Somewhere Over the Rainbow yeah. and all that. Mm-hmm. He was the, the big guy beautiful singer um my father and law actually went to school with him which is really funny i'm like small community here he was always playing the ukulele always singing so ah, so rest in peace brada is but but we have musicians here i don't know why they didn't like put like our music on there especially like when you come to hawaii and when you go to like waikiki and other touristy areas it's like you get some of like the elvis presley or like Hapa haole, like music. Um, but you also get a lot of Hawaiian musicians in there. And I noticed that the tourists really like listening more to like the Hawaiian music. Um, and it would have been a great opportunity to 
represent Hawaiian musicians and Hawaiian music, but I think mm-hmm. the only extent was again the Kamehameha School Choir. Um, I watched behind the scenes of them like singing in the studio, and it was really cute. Um, I'd mentioned earlier the beginning song with Himele no Lilo. That's an actual song or a chant in honor of King Kalakaua, but Kumu uh, Markeli Uhomalu like changed the tune and all that and the the music to make it more like I think palatable in big quotes palatable right. for like oh, an American yeah. audience because they don't want to hear like chanting or whatever but that would have been cool to hear that would have um, been so cool yeah well the rest of that quote was the so uh, this is um Chris Sanders talking where he's like we went to a music store and tried to find Hawaiian CDs uh, and then he goes on to say we found out that like that there were so few because the parameters are very clear as to what you can and can't do with this music. Mm-hmm. We wanted to orchestrate this music. We wanted to take these Hawaiian themes and make them movie scale. And that's a bit of a no-no. And then Alan Silvestri says, we wanted to bring in this more traditional Hawaiian influence to some of the songs. And we discovered there is a very deep sacred aspect to real traditional Hawaiian music. It's a very cared for tradition from Hawaii. And it's like, so if these are things that you discover after you've decided to set the movie in a certain place and depict a certain culture like that means you're out of your element yeah there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with like knowing that you don't know everything and that it's okay to allocate like certain duties or like have other people like help um with it because guarantee there would have been like a lot of kumuhula here or like you know hawaiian music practitioners have been like yeah we'll tell you what songs you can use what you can't use Mm -hmm. and all that because they've worked on films before they've worked in tvs like they Mm -hmm. they know what is like kapu forbidden or noa more free Mm -hmm. and it's all the more frustrating to to know that that is still actively happening i don't i don't know much about what the situation is with music composition for the live action but it's like the problems are still the same yeah and it yeah it's 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 really frustrating and especially to hear in the um especially in the 20 years later oral history that it's like yeah we i i just wish that it's like I don't know, there's like a defensive nature to the way that they're talking. And it could it could have just like the sentence can just end it. We didn't really have a right to tell this story. Mm-hmm. And maybe even an expression of have you reflected on that? How would you do it differently now? Like that can be instructive, but they just sort of were like it it felt more defensive than um mm-hmm. reflective, which is always sort of like a, a frustrating thing to come up against. Right. Can we talk about the characters? Yeah. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> Lilo and Nani. I mean, just from a representation standpoint, and I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts, of course, Lily. Um, but I think there's like interesting things happening in this movie where, you know, you have indigenous characters living in the modern world and dealing with everyday issues mm-hmm. uh which shouldn't be that rare of a thing but so many <laughs> movies about native people are set in the past and of course those stories are important too but i think that contributes to a tendency that i think a lot of non-native people have where they just don't really know anything about the lives and experiences of native people or even worse that they are not even really sure that native people exist like in the u.s oh, especially yeah 
they talk about us like we're part of the past. And what's even worse is when I hear a lot of non-native Hawaiian people say like, well, you guys are mixed. So you're, you guys are not pure native Hawaiian. So you guys don't count. Oh. And I'm like, that's a very colonizer mindset yeah, because like, native Hawaiians never cared about blood quantum or even like phenotypes about what you look like it's about genealogy and how connected you are with the culture our Mm -hmm. even our elite are like royal members didn't care about blood quantum the next queen of hawaii would have been princess kaiulani who is half hawaiian and half scottish Mm -hmm. and they're not like you can't be the queen because you're only half um and then we had Mm -hmm. um prince kuhio who created the um hawaiian homesteads act where he wanted to give like land to native hawaiians and Mm-hmm. At first, he didn't set a blood quantum because he didn't want to. It's just it passes down in your family. But of course, the mm-hmm. U.S. government was like, you need to put a blood quantum. So he thought of like the lowest one possible. He was like, OK, uh, one and a 32nd then. And they said that's too low. So they basically forced him to go half Hawaiian. So like even then, I wouldn't be I'm mm-hmm. not qualified to apply for homestead land because I not enough. But again, like. We don't care about blood quantum. It's right. it's a colonizer mindset. So I've had mm. conversations with non-Hawaiian people who say like, well, you guys are only mixed. So you guys aren't even considered native Hawaiian. I'm like, ridiculous. you don't know our lives and how we connect with right. our culture. Culture is more deeper than that. If we just start telling people that they can't learn their language or their culture because they don't look a certain way or because they're percentage is too low then you would see a bunch of cultures going extinct today because Mm -hmm. people are people are going to mix people are going to be mixed in the future whether people like it or not but culture gets Mm -hmm. passed down um it's almost like blaming people for being colonized (laughs) like it's like yeah like like my aunt i didn't choose first of all i mean i didn't choose to be mixed but also i love that i can come from different cultures and that Mm -hmm. they're all part of me i'm I'm not only this much hawaiian or i'm not only this much korean or this much filipino i am hawaiian and korean Mm -hmm. and filipino and this Mm -hmm. and that and whatnot and that's that's Mm -hmm. how we think here and i mean i'm married to a japanese man and our kids Mm -hmm. are probably going to be like more Japanese but like how I raise them is still going to be Hawaiian they're still going to live here they're still going to be of mm-hmm. me so yeah. yeah it's it's ridiculous it's so yeah like there should be no punitive aspect to who you are like that's just yeah yeah it's like I'm sorry is my right arm Hawaiian then and I think like <laughs> my pinky toe is Irish or something like it's yeah if you think about it that way it's silly it's like so silly. it's all of you your ancestors live through you fully and you are mm. the representation of your ancestors um so mm-hmm. don't say that you're only this much or only this much you are that much and you're still that um you're mm-hmm. still you but yeah other than that yeah representation um I <laughs> <laughs> I think they're beautifully animated I love how they look and you know mm-hmm. I feel like they really much represent real people who live here mm-hmm. I remember one time I was watching Lilo and Stitch with like my friends in high school and um there was a scene where like when Nani was trying to find Lilo and then she almost gets run over by Cobra Bubbles and she was like mm-hmm. watch me you got you stupid and then like kicks the car <laughs> and my friends kind of looked at me they were like you are so like that I'm like what 
me <laughs> i don't have anger issues i kind of do um but but i love that it's like how you know yeah we're very it's kind of a running joke here but like how hawaiian women or like polynesian women are very scary and like hot-headed but like not in like a negative way like but like as in they're powerful don't mess with them sort of mm-hmm. way and i am proud to reclaim that my husband knows don't mess with me <laughs> people know don't mess with me oh. <laughs> I, love it. Oh, I, I love and and with nani's character i mean it's so uh, i i i really love how she's written and how she's performed in spite of everything we've talked about so far because it's like she is it's so weird because in moments like there's some moments where you're like oh yeah she's 19 mm-hmm. and I feel like that comes through in certain moments where she's doing everything she can to protect Leo Lilo she has to I said Leo oh my god okay. <laughs> um, wow not Leroy <laughs> no not Leroy and Stitch inferior um but <laughs> Nani's character I mean Lilo and Nani it's kind of like it's it I, I don't want to have it be a contest because they're both so wonderful in in such different ways but like Nani mm-hmm. I feel like is one of the more complex Disney characters that we encounter period because oh, yeah. she's, you're, we're like watching her navigate not only her and I feel like this didn't resonate for me when I was a kid because I was so like it's the Lilo show baby because you you see Lilo actively mourning her parents who it seems has died fairly recently yeah and that also ties into why she's not fitting in at school at this time because Nani says they don't know what to say like they don't know how to communicate with her and mm-hmm. yeah kids can be mean oh my god like they can Espr- be mean. I mean Myrtle alert yeah. Myrtle. See it with Myrtle Myrtle and her little mean girl minions sorry I brought up minions <laughs> <I> again <know. laughs> oh, yes no. we're winning <laughs> but but I mean but Nani is also having to deal with this loss but she can't even really mm-hmm. she doesn't have time to grapple with that grief because she has to navigate this abrupt switch from sibling to parent and I feel like it's just done so well where their sibling moments are so sibling and then you see like Nani almost have to like remind herself of like oh no I have to be a parent now mm-hmm. and she's so nurturing like she mm-hmm. is so loving and just the sacrifices she has to make like when I was rewatching it with my husband, he, I pointed out like she has like surfing trophies in the back. She was like a professional surfer and she had to mm. give all of that up so she can take care of her sister. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, just imagine being like a 19 year old, you know, just kind of living your life like you have a six year old sister, whatever your parents are taking care of her. Um, but, you know, you're like at that age where you're more independent and you do mm-hmm. things and then all of a sudden now you have to like drop everything and take care of your kid sister because yeah there's no other adult that can take care of them which is kind of sad to think about like they don't have like aunties or uncles that can yeah. like help or grandparents or anything kind of showing like how small their family is um yeah. but yeah and like her just kind of being the only one who understands Lilo as well like how we mentioned earlier mm-hmm. with like her wanting to name Stitch Stitch and then when the um, lady tried to tell her that's not a real name Nani like you know she protects her also like when Nani gets fired from the Luau and um, Mm. Lilo was like concerned that it was her fault but then Nani was like oh no the manager is part of the 
evil vampires and wanted me to join their legion. I'm like, she does so much for Lilo and protects Mm -hmm. her. and Which also shows that they're like, it's so clear that they're sisters because they both have these like weird little, like they're, they're goofy. They're silly. They like, they're very creative. They have like a a very active imaginations. And And Lilo's like, like, I knew it. I love Lilo. Oh, such a good joke. It's like, yeah, it reminds me of like my relationship with my sisters too. Like we'll be fighting and we'll be hating each other's guts. But then when one of us is in trouble, we drop everything to be there Mm -hmm. for each other. So really depicting that, you know, sister relationship um, very well. And Yeah. yeah, and just also shedding light on a lot of issues that we face in our community with you know, over tourism, mm-hmm. environmental damages, um, separating indigenous children from their homes, the foster care system, mm-hmm. the whole like, again, like Cobra Bubbles approaching as like an American government official. Um, yeah. 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 A lot of weird pros. It, it's, um, I, I've, I guess that that's something that hit weird for me is that Cobra Bubbles uh, I mean I guess it feels very 2002 also but like how Cobra Bubbles and and I guess um, the Russian scientist alien they get to be a part of the family at the end and I'm like I feel like they haven't really earned it <laughs> I don't know I don't know if I would want them around but I mean especially Cobra Bubbles who is like this representation not just of the CIA it turns out mm-hmm. one of the most easily hated organizations on the planet but also the fact that he represents the foster care system mm-hmm. and is still treated pretty like more than neutrally like under sympathetically in the end even though he was about to like take her away separate an an indigenous family permanently and Mm -hmm. you i mean not that this is like an accurate way that a social worker would spend their day but the fact that he clearly had time and resources to help them and instead use those same time and resources to separate them which i know is Mm -hmm. um something that happens but if you're going to like portray that i feel like it should be with the appropriate amount of criticism but instead they're like and then he just sort of kept coming over and hanging out and you're like i don't know yeah i mean he seemed i love ving rams but it just was weird right it seemed like he was framed as a as a villain not the villain necessarily but like as a as an antagonistic force throughout the movie but he gets that redemption at the end out of nowhere for no reason which yeah i didn't understand why yeah like it would have been nice if he could have acknowledged something like wow none of this was your fault it was literally aliens just coming in and (laughs) like making it more difficult for you which i think is a pretty i was talking about this with my husband a very interesting like um kind of symbolism of just like indigenous issues where we often get blamed for our problems like for poverty homelessness unemployment Mm -hmm. and all that but not knowing just kind of the the deeper issues in society which is like capitalism which is white supremacy you know settler colonialism Mm -hmm. and when you look at hawaii over half of the homeless population is native hawaiians um and Mm -hmm. we would often get blamed for it it's like oh well they're just lazy or they just don't try hard enough or they want to spend all their money on drugs or whatever it's like well no it's because you forced an american style of government an american way of living on an indigenous nation that has been living mm-hmm. fine for years prior mm-hmm. but 
Yeah, but it would have been interesting yeah. for, I don't know, Gantu and Cobra to be like, hey, we're sorry for, <laughs> one, messing things up, but two, also jumping to conclusions for things that were entirely out of your reach not your fault um yeah love stitch but it was kind of his fault but yeah Yeah. (laughs) at least he apologized he did yeah yeah but yeah i did think it was interesting how how much is brought up because there are like issues that i've never seen in disney movies or really much kids media in general brought up in this movie and so it's like because it's happening i guess i mean you would want a stronger commentary on it and i feel like it it would completely fit within the like formula of what these movies are and it would fit within the story and it would sort of serve i think everyone better but Mm -hmm. i don't know and um i think the movie strikes a nice balance of characters dealing with adversity dealing with the effects of systemic issues that again are not at all their fault um particularly rated related to class Mm -hmm. and colonialism but also seeing the the main characters experience joy and love and and happiness and just like that that nice balance of like acknowledging you know injustices and systemic issues that BIPOC people often deal with but not like skewing so far into that where it becomes like tragedy porn which a lot of movies go into that territory when it comes to stories about marginalized people so yeah and i and i love the moments where they have joy is always tied back to hawaiian culture like with hula and Mm -hmm. surfing and singing hawaiian music um Mm -hmm. yeah just those things that really ground us and connect us as people to our ancestors and just kind of remind us like who we are and where we are and what our purpose is um yeah like when lilo was scared that she might not dance hula after she um punched myrtle Mm -hmm. like she was like Mm -hmm. so remorseful like hula is especially knowing that her mom was a hula dancer as well so that's how Mm -hmm. she connects to her mother is through hula dancing um Mm -hmm. yeah in hawaiian culture it's like very matriarchal a lot of the culture is passed down from the mother's side um yeah yeah yeah, I, I guess going back to the um, the sister relationship, I mean, I don't know. I, I also think it's like very, it's very rare to see uh, sister relationships focused on in kids media, especially kids media of this time. We joke mm-hmm. on the show all the time that ultimately every movie is somehow about fathers and sons. <laughs> it's still basically true. I hear that that's what the new Mario movie is about somehow. Just <laughs> like, oh my uh, God. Yep. <laughs> Oh, I haven't seen it, but someone was like, it's about fathers and sons. I was like, oh, I guess, of course it is. Um, It (laughs) should just be about plumbers and plumbers. But anyways, (laughs) but this movie, I I think, uh, meaningfully diverged from that. Again, not the original plan of the movie. The original plan of this movie was Stitch and a little boy in Kansas. Mm -hmm. But uh, early, I think before the setting of the movie was switched, the gender of the child was switched which again was unusual because i feel like we get with unless i unless there's examples i'm not thinking of off the top of my head you see like teenage girls often and they're almost always white um and if they're not white they're usually heavily sexualized in in the disney princess kind of space but you don't see Mm -hmm. just like kids um who are girls very often Mm -hmm. and i love that lilo is such 
She's just like the most kid to ever kid. <laughs> she's such a goofball and she's like so um I don't know. She's like such a, in some moments, she's such an open wound, but she's just like so emotionally like, I just, I just love her so much. And I like that they, they just feel very authentic to like how old they are and how they relate with each other and their sisterhood drives the story. And I feel like that's really Mm -hmm. rare and beautiful. People try to say that Frozen was the first film that depicted like sister relationships. I'm like, no, it's Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. Go back 13 years. (laughs) Obviously very biased, but like Frozen is not doing what Lilo and Stitch is doing or what Lilo and Nani are doing rather. Like it's just not that it's a contest, but it is. That is true. But Lilo and Stitch, the movie did win yes uh i wanted to talk character design in particular there's one scene where it's the scene where lilo comes in after having fed pudge the fish a peanut butter sandwich and so she comes into the rehearsal and there are the four other small girls that she's trying to be friends with and then there are five like teenage or young adult native hawaiian women Mm. who are all seemingly the same exact character design yeah with slightly different skin tone and hair color slash length but i was like that was pretty lazy (laughs) right that's there's no body diversity in um in that group of women at all definitely not and i found that to be i I was noticing little things like that throughout the movie where oftentimes unless there was an elderly native woman a lot of the native hawaiian characters who are like you know that kind of like 20-ish years old all seem to have almost the same exact it's like they designed nani and then they just sort of like Copy and pasted that. Copy yeah. pasted. Control V. Yeah. I also want to make a comment on the hula attire that the kaikamahine, mm. like oh. the little girls, wear. Mm-hmm. I will just mm-hmm. say, no way would they be able to wear like a small tube top that shows their midriff. Okay. Um, that is not. Mm. <laughs> I would say like what the older women wear was a little bit more accurate because like yeah. it's like covering their midriff, but especially because when you're doing like kahiko traditional style, like you don't show. Um, your stomach um Mm -hmm. but Mm. yeah i just thought like okay what the girls little girls are wearing is very kind of a white person's perspective like touristy like postcard (sighs) Mm -hmm. with the hula girl on there i'm like that's not what we wear like the tea leaves the tea leaf skirts were good and like also like their Mm -hmm. um their lapel the head lay and like their kind of the bracelets and the anklets but yeah the red Mm -hmm. tube top i know it's an iconic look for her character but i'm like never seen a child wear something like that probably for the best yeah (laughs) yeah but i do agree um but i also kind of noticed like in general like nowadays like i think when disney makes like a lot of different characters they do better at like kind of diversifying the faces but i've just noticed like in older disney films like they would kind of use like the same face model for a lot of things like the um the blue fairy in pinocchio has like the same face as um snow white so yes they actually they like recycled a lot of animation uh, just because it like i mean i get why like animation especially when it was like hand-drawn which this movie is i think that this is like the last major disney movie to be almost completely 2d yeah i'm an animation dork so i'm like and the backgrounds were watercolor watercolor never happens and it's so beautiful (laughs) 
Yeah. Princess and the Frog was a few years later. And yeah, I think that was like the last one in that kind of traditional. The 2D. And then, and then Tangled came after with the 3D. Um, but yeah, it would have been yeah. nice to like see. Because when you go to like a halal, when you go to like a hula school, like there are many different kinds of dancers there. Not all of them mm-hmm. are Native Hawaiian as well, because anyone can dance hula as long as you just learn it properly. Um, but yeah, you get plenty kind of dancers there. And if you watch like mm-hmm. Merry Monarch as well, you see the performers. Not all of them look the same. Like you have mm-hmm. very different um, looking dancers. But even just for Native Hawaiians in general, we come in different shades and appearances um, and different yeah. facial yeah. features, especially because, like I said, a lot of us are mixed. So some of us will look more asian some of us will look a little bit more like white some of us will look more hawaiian whatever um Mm -hmm. that's kind of the beauty of it being here is just how unique and diverse it is but yeah they really said copy paste on the face (laughs) (laughs) it's like egregious and i'm like yeah i i can i know what you're saying is like yeah they do that on like a lot of animated movies where it's like i think this movie was fairly low budget Mm. um for how compared uh, to big it is yeah and they made it entirely in florida which can't have been fun florida oh boy yeah they they (laughs) didn't even like they outsourced that i saw like a lot of internal this was like the part of uh the oral history that like isn't super relevant to our show but i was like interested in it where they're like yeah we think the only reason this movie is good is because we didn't have to make it in california so kind of no one was paying attention and like we were sort of left to our own we were like marooned in orlando which sounds miserable but i guess it i guess it sort of worked out again you're like why were we not in hawaii but they were in fact in orlando yeah whoops but um just going back to the character design a little bit i do appreciate that um that nani and and lilo and particularly nani because she has you know she's an adult that she's not designed like so many of the other disney female characters of the past we touched on this a little bit already but you know you have so many Disney princesses like Jasmine and Ariel and you know so many others who were just like designed to be unrealistically thin oh yeah like their waist is the same size as their neck their neck it yeah um and like you mentioned Jamie like so often hypersexualized so Nani was not designed that way and that was like a, a deliberate effort on the part of, I guess, to give the direct the co-director Chris Sanders a little bit of credit. Yeah. This is a quote from Pam Coates, who was the, who's the senior vice president of creative development at Disney. She says, "Quote: I remember Chris Sanders when he was drawing Nani. He asked our production supervisor to pose for him. Can you pose because I want to draw your legs on Nani, which also is maybe a weird request, but I don't. Know. But anyway." Um, she said, Chris just went there as opposed it's to having too weird for animation, but it, it depends on who's doing it. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah, it depends on, I guess, the tone <laughs> that you're asking with. Yeah. I've worked in animation and sometimes you're like, no, not for you. But then sometimes you're like, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she goes on to say, Chris just went there as opposed to having to have conversations about, hey, can you make a woman look like real women? So it seems like Chris Sanders just instinctively was just like, I'm going to like design a character who looks like a human and not like a Barbie doll kind of thing. 
Yeah. So. And I love like her. I love her big calves because mm-hmm. that is a very common trait among Pacific Islander women as well. We're not skinny. Um, and a lot of my um, Native Hawaiian friends and just Pacific Islander friends in general, we talk about like how when we saw Nani, we like we're like, oh, my gosh, she's so beautiful. She looks like us. Like we actually felt beautiful because, you know, growing mm-hmm. up, we we were insecure about how we looked, especially me. I went to like a predominantly like white school, especially like um, East Asian school as well. And all the girls there were tiny and skinny and short. And I was like this tall, curvier, brown Hawaiian girl. And I always felt like I was ugly. And why couldn't I look like them? So just having that representation, which they also did the same with Moana as well. I really appreciate how mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. animated her to be actually proportioned and not have like a tiny neck and tiny waist and like, I don't know, wrists that look like they can like snap off any moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. And just depicting like how they look like. And it makes sense because Nani is a surfer. You know, she's not, she's going to be strong. You know, if you've seen yeah, right. the women surfers here in Hawaii, like they're, they're strong, you know, they're muscular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's like, and, and the bar is still on the floor for, for stuff like that, but I really <laughs> like it, it does, it makes a huge difference. And, um, I'm very glad that they just drew. It's so wild to still to be like, and they drew people to look like people, but it's still just barely done. Um, it's like when a movie yeah. feels like a movie. Yes, and that, <laughs> uh, and then also the way that Nani is uh, dressed, I felt was more intentional than other uh, than other women in Disney movies. Where we do, I mean, we see her. I think the most like the quote unquote the skip, like the the most sort of like revealing outfit she's in is when she's working at the resort, which um, makes sense. Yeah. Red, does that a resort that caters to mostly white yeah vacation they're very sexualized they're even like the dancers again like i said like they were wearing like the tiny little coconut bras or tiny mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. sarongs for their outfits which i'm like first of all coconut bras are not from hawaii that is not hawaiian but they still put them in mm-hmm. that anyways um but mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked how she's dressed, you know, in like shorts and a t-shirt and like boots, like she's active and knowing how hot it gets here, it's like, yeah, I don't expect her to wear like long sleeve, you know, anything because no one does. I mean, I'm wearing it now, but it's cold in my house. Um, But like, yeah, I'm I'm wearing shorts though, but yeah, it's very common. But yeah, like you said, like with the exception of the, um, the luau uniform, like everything else she wears is like pretty... It's it's nice seeing that you're not like focused mm-hmm. on her midriff or like her I don't know clavicles or something like the other yeah, characters right. like Princess Jasmine. You have to remember she's like supposed to be 15 oh, in that God. film, which the way yeah we we still have not gotten justice for Princess Jasmine <laughs> and and that but also the fact that she is like she dresses in a way that um is like logical and makes sense in that her body not constantly being fixated on doesn't preclude her from a romantic storyline because I feel like that's another thing that if there is a in in really and in, in live action or animation if a like a, a usually a woman's body is not if the sexiness of a woman's body is not ha- like your eye isn't constantly drawn to it, that's not a character that's going to have a romantic interest or a romantic 
plot line. But Nani, I, I like, I, I think that again, it's like we, and we can talk about the relationship as well. We should, but like the, I, I appreciated that where it's like, she is quote unquote, a normal girl. And that like, she dresses in a way that makes sense. She has a job. She has a lot of shit going on in her life. And I, I mean, I think that there were maybe more interesting lines to fill out Nani's story outside of just kind of going straight to love interest. Like you're saying, Lily, she has her surfing career. She is also actively warning her parents. I think it would have made a lot of sense to give Nani a friend and someone to talk to and confide in. But David also sort of fills that role, it seems like. Um, I don't know. Let's talk about that relationship. Because I'm like biased because I love David. (laughs) But, you know, let's talk about it. Yeah. I appreciated how that unfolds for the most part where Mm -hmm. he is like first and foremost a friend and yes he does have a crush on nani but but they talk on the phone at night it's cute yeah they like he's supportive he seems to respect her boundaries when Mm -hmm. he says like hey what are you doing later and she's like now's not a good time i have a lot on my plate and he doesn't try to push it. it it doesn't seem like he holds it against her that she can't date him right now if anything he tries to help her like he's yeah. you know he finds a job for her and he like yeah, yeah. you know helps her with taking care of lilo as well mm-hmm. because that's you know like her priority is taking care of her sister and it takes a village to raise a kid so i think him just mm-hmm. also like acting like kind of like another adult and guardian figure in her life is really helping nanny and sure. yeah and he's doing this because he genuinely like cares um, cares for her yeah he does make that little it seems to be a joke where after he's found her a job he says something like you can just date me and we'll call it even <laughs> and it's not the best joke and if someone said that to me i would probably feel uncomfortable if especially if i didn't want to date them but yeah. he's never like predatory which is like wow no. the bar is so low for um <laughs> men's behavior but it's um, a good thing she likes his butt and fancy his hair, butt and fancy <laughs> hair. I know. and he does know that so it felt more teasy but still you're yeah not not the best line but in general i loved their relationship and i liked that he i mean i'm always pro like let's give her like a female friend let's give her a best friend to Mm -hmm. like bounce shit off of especially because it's like not only are you going through a lot you're also 19 and that's such a critical friend time Mm -hmm. but but anyway i mean i i like that david like you're saying caitlin like he is a really good friend to her Mm -hmm. and then it's like we're seeing it turn into something more and then they go on a million vacations at the end of the movie and you're like woo, that's so nice here's my I think you could if if you wanted to read it that because it didn't even occur to me that they got together on my first viewing because what? you maybe I was like the, biased I was like woohoo I, I love that they're together now well you only really see it in the like still images there maybe I like stopped the movie too soon and like as soon as the credits started I think in the other films in the series they kind of established their relationship more okay right that makes sense yeah because I was like oh I guess they do get together because at first I had written in my notes like oh you know he's like kind of presented as this possible love interest but it never culminates which is like you know something that I appreciate seeing as far as a 
because I mean, in most things where that's set up, it's definitely going to culminate in like a hetero love story. Um, you need to which... have the kiss at the end as the carriage <laughs> right. rolls away. Exactly. Right, which right. doesn't happen in this movie. And again, their only indication that they got together, but also maybe they just go on a bunch of friendly vacations. I don't know. It's not the most clear, but, but um... they're making out on vacation and you know it. <sighs> Fine. Lilo, get anyway. out of the room. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate yeah, yeah. And Lilo's like, I read the diary. I know. <laughs> um, at the very least, I appreciated that they're, relationship whether it be platonic or romantic or some combination of the two that it doesn't like overpower the story the way that like a lot of hetero love interest narratives will like especially for disney movies like that's the core focus of the story yeah yeah i i mean and that's because we've been we've been betrayed by so many movies in the past that are about one thing for most of the movie and then in the last 20 minutes all of a sudden is about a relationship that you barely care about and this (laughs) what is the little mermaid (laughs) yes and it's like in this one at least the movie knows it's about Lilo and Nani and Lilo and Stitch and it stays there which yeah I was perfectly happy with and I Mm -hmm. love Lilo and Stitch I love Stitch I love how (laughs) we talked about this a little earlier but how Stitch it's so like I it's just so I didn't recognize this when I was a kid I was just like hee hee blue dog funny but um (laughs) (laughs) but how by knowing stitch lilo is able to like see herself in a different way Mm. and like she's able to interact with stitch the way nani interacts with her and she's frustrated with stitch in the same way that nani's frustrated with her but can come to him with a lot of empathy is this how i act like (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) and and that she always i don't know i'm just like best kid ever where even when stitch is like tearing apart that weird like i did a picasso joke where she's like that's from my blue period and i'm like yeah what is this joke oh that's funny uh, <laughs> i love that when she immediately puts the lay on stitch he like calms down and just kind of i'm yeah. like that is such a cool cultural tidbit to put in there like lays do have like that calming factor on them and you give lay to people for like a reason it's like typically when you make Mm -hmm. it or you like buy it that's been handmade and you give it to someone that you care about and you want to give them that aloha Mm -hmm. so i kind of liked that it's like this rampaging like alien that's destroying everything (laughs) he puts on a fresh flower lay and then he's just so calm i'm like dang Mm -hmm. the power of the lay (laughs) my kumu (laughs) was right (laughs) (laughs) they're so like they're so good together and i yeah, and I and I love. We I mean, we were like referencing this earlier, but so much of how Stitch learns to appreciate Lilo is through her sharing her culture with him. I just love their relationship. It's very sweet, and that he does, unlike most male characters uh, throughout movies and also history, um, mm-hmm. he does apologize when he realizes that he has. Um, messed with the family and wants to make it right i like that he and nani even get a moment together it's okay, very sweet okay <laughs> she like wax <laughs> i love i know uh, you can talk <laughs> <laughs> and then he says one word and then she freaks like, out Hi. and smacks him or something <laughs> it's oh, so I great it. she was like we had a weird relationship i still don't know how to feel about you but you rescued my sister so i guess we're okay just 
just don't but it's kind of cute because i remember also in the um kind of the ending sequence of the movie when you know they're adjusting to their new life in the new house which by the way that new house is beautiful is definitely worth like two million dollars in our standards i'm like how did how does she afford that hopefully the aliens help pay for it but um right the property taxes alone yeah he's like doing the laundry and then he puts on i think like a bikini top and just starts like going around as a superman and she's looking down at him like what are you doing? I'm like, she's like, I have another damn child I have to take care of. <laughs> oh, it's great. Oh. Lilo and Stitch are the best best friends One of my- in all of movies. <laughs> One of my favorite jokes in the movie is when um, Nani is saying, oh, that thing's creepy. I won't be able to sleep knowing it's loose in the house. And then Lilo says, you're loose in the house all the time and I sleep just fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Does anyone have anything else they want to talk about? This is a very goofy observation, but I was thinking about movies that, because there are not a lot of movies that feature adoption or the foster care system, and this is Mm -hmm. the worst comparison of all time, but because we just covered it on the show, there are parallels between Lilo and Stitch and Megan. It's just true. It's just true. Um, but Stitch is fortunately, um, he, he's rehabilitated. He doesn't go full <laughs> Megan. He, I'm pretty sure he doesn't kill anyone. Is Megan that movie about that robot girl yeah, that the like robot. does that dance thing and she yes. is? <laughs> yes, yes, the TikTok robot right. girl. Stitch and Megan have basically the exact opposite arc where like yeah. Megan starts off like, creepy but not super threatening but then she gets scarier and scarier and more murdery as she goes whereas stitch starts out very destructive and then becomes less and less so by the end yes (laughs) Uh, i could talk about lilo and stitch's friendship and how beautiful it is forever i love the scene where stitch shows i i don't know it's like the idea of showing yourself to someone and like trusting them enough to show yourself and stitch is like here's my alien stuff and all my extra (laughs) arms and she's like what and then later she's like i love you it's just because all she wants is to be accepted and that's what stitch wants and she doesn't care that he's an alien she just cared that he like lied to her about it it just shows like just how accepting she is and she doesn't care um I want to talk about the um, Aloha Oi scene where Nani is singing that to Lilo. Um, I yes. Every single time I rewatch this film, I know that scene is about to come up. I know what's going to happen, and I still cry every mm-hmm. time. I'm like an emotional little ball of just like sadness and all of that. <laughs> like right as like Stitch is walking up the stairs and the ducks are coming out, I was like, oh god, here comes the waterworks. And then she has to like tell <laughs> her sister that. Um, I can't take care of you anymore and you're probably going to be taken away to like a family whether it be on this island or who knows she might have to go to like a different island because you know foster kids mm-hmm. get moved around so much and just her singing like aloha oi to her like just the symbolism because first that song was written by um Queen Lilio Kaleni she was a composer she's composed many songs especially mm-hmm. when she was um under house arrest um after the overthrow of the Hawaiian kingdom she was writing songs in the basement of the Iolani palace she first wrote aloha oi as a song for her like lover and stuff um Mm -hmm. and just dedicated to him and like 
moments where they would like be together riding horses in the country and all that. But then the song gets recontextualized during the overthrow and the forced American um, annexation, assimilation, and then later statehood. Um, it gets recontextualized for Lily Okolani saying farewell to her kingdom. And then in this movie, it gets recontextualized of her saying that farewell to you, like farewell to you um, mm-hmm. until we meet again. And God, it's just so sad. And it just makes me think, I think Lilo knows kind of what's going on um, because yeah. that's how they communicate is through their culture. And mm-hmm. I just loved that touch they put there because that is kind of the purpose. That is the purpose of our hula. That's the purpose of our music is to com- like it's communication, it's oral traditions and storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. We have olalo no eao, like Hawaiian proverbs. Um, that's how a lot of us like we communicate with each other. Um, she doesn't straight up tell her like you're being taken away from me. It's she just sings that to her, and I think that just mm-hmm. clearly tells the message. And I was surprised that Stitch knew it too. I was like, oh. Has he been reading the Queen's book? Does does he know the <laughs> He does have the brain of a supercomputer. He so. is a super. Yeah, yeah, he probably does. Um, I love Stitch. Yeah, but it's just every time I watch that scene, I'm crying. I'm like, I know it's yeah. coming up, but why do I keep crying? I'm. Ugh. That's the beauty of cinema. <laughs> I also I I read that that um or maybe it was in the documentary, but that was um. Allegedly, that was Tia Carrera's idea to put that song there um, because she and her grandmother used to sing it together. And that that place in a way that you're like, oh, it's a Disney movie. Of course, they were going to do that. They were going to put some like weird original song in there. And then when Tia Carrera read the script, this like came out years later. She was like, well, I think this would actually fit much better. And this is a song I would sing with my grandmother. And then when she was in the recording booth, she called her grandma to make sure she was getting the words right. And it was just like Mm -hmm. a family moment which I thought was very sweet I'm glad that they let her do that I'm surprised they weren't like now we are the Disney overlords we choose what goes on you can't no but good choice on them because I can't imagine any other song put in there Mm -hmm. and it's a and she does a beautiful job she's an amazing singer and Mm -hmm. yeah definitely the last thing I wanted to touch on real quick kind of back to the conversation about bodies Mm -hmm. was related to Lilo's photography collection (laughs) Um, (laughs) because she seems to take pictures of white people who are in Hawaii on vacation as if to say like these outsiders are coming to my home like treating my home as a like tourist spot probably not respecting the culture or the land Mm. because there are so many accounts of that happening unfortunately so that's all very valid but there is this like fat shamey element to it because Mm. it seems like all the people she takes photos of are fat Mm -hmm. it's not directly said in the movie but the implication feels like it's shaming these people for various things including their bodies and their size. But other than that, there weren't any like, well, I guess there's one other, I felt kind of ageist tropes being used with a character who only shows up in a really quick scene. um, Mrs. Mrs. Hasegawa. Because she's an old woman who is portrayed as being like oblivious. She doesn't really understand what's going on around her. Who, by the way, is voiced by Amy Hill, 
um, who oh. we talked about recently oh. on the 51st Dates episode because she plays oh. Sue. She's also been cast in the live action remake. Oh, yeah. I think she's playing Tutu or something. Yes. Who is the grandmother of David, according to oh, Scholarly Journal Wikipedia. So they kind of have new characters in there. Yeah. I can understand um, the criticism of Mrs. Hasegawa's um depiction i will say though like i know a lot of mrs hasegawa's and a lot of people here know like we all have that one like old grandma or auntie and her family that you have to kind of yell at them because they can't hear what you're saying and (laughs) so i mean from again from my perspective just born and raised here growing up here i saw Mm -hmm. it as like oh that's funny because we we all know that one auntie who's like that and it's kind of like more endearing but i can also see um the criticism of just like her kind of being like the butt of the joke because mm, sure. you know because you know who knows she's you know these even though they can't hear very well you know they have a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge in them um mm-hmm, and for sure. yeah i do feel bad because i always laughed at her scene she's like what i can't talk i'm waiting for the application oh that's my that's my ad in the newspaper it's like yeah. <laughs> yes that's I why know. i'm here <laughs> <laughs> It is funny, but yeah, I, yeah, I it's open to interpretation, perhaps. Yeah, but um, but does this, this is kind of this? I love that this is a no-brainer. Does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Yeah, yes. Like Definitely. for, I think the better. I mean, I guess the 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 main passes are between Nani and and Lilo, but there's plenty of conversations between, I mean, even they don't have to be positive interactions. It passes between Myrtle and Lilo. It passes <laughs> um, between, oh, I'm trying to think of other combinations that it, there might there's be. There's Nani it, and that beautiful lifeguard when she was trying to get the job. There. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's they true. don't. Uh, they would I, They would have been good friends. I think they do have interactions in like the series. I have to rewatch the series, but I haven't watched it in forever. But I loved it. It was like after school staple. Um, <laughs> the only other um, main character who's a who's not a man in the story is the person in charge of space. Oh, the Grand Councilwoman. Yeah. And I also just wanted to shout out every. I see this on Twitter every so often. Just images of Pleakley disguised on earth because normal they're they're like disguised as a like hetero tourist married couple and um pleakley you know uses he him pronouns but is dressed in drag for those scenes and icon he goes viral pretty often being uh you know being praised as an icon and i just wanted to um shout out and agree Mm -hmm. with that yeah he knows that he's a baddie he's gonna rock that outfit he's like gone to you're not or not What's his name again? Not Gantu. Um, oh, God. Jamba. Jam- Jamba. Look at me mixing up the names. But I'm like, he's like, Jamba, you are not wearing that dress. It looks better on me. You wear the mustache. Yeah. You wear the um, old dad hat. You're going to be that. I'm going to be the star. <laughs> and it seems I'm like, I'm like, wow, I think that they're kind of together by the end of the movie. Although Jamba <laughs> must pay for his crimes. Um, yes. But Yes, but also I I just I love when characters are in um are in drag or just like not wearing gender non-conforming clothing and it's not like 
super like, what is happening? Like, that's just a part of the story. And that's, I think, why it holds up. Yeah, the other characters, like, don't care at all. They're just like, okay, they're they're there. They're like, you, know? you do you. Exactly. Yeah. Pleakly. I love it. <laughs> and Pleakly is going to do Pleakly, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not. Yeah. Okay, so our nipple scale, where we rate the movie on a scale of 0 to 5 nipples based on examining the film through an intersectional feminist lens. I will give this four nipples. I'm taking a little bit off for mostly just like the kind of behind the scenes Mm -hmm. things, like the kind of missteps Mm -hmm. in casting the insistence of all of these white men who are like, yeah, I acknowledge that this is not my story to tell, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. And the fact that those same, I mean, I'm pretty sure that like all these guys are still alive, kicking and working. And like, Mm -hmm. if you did feel genuine, like it was wrong of me to take that project on or even take that project on solo without being more inclusive then you would think that would be the sort of person you would want to speak out against another white guy directing the new Lilo and Stitch like demonstrate it with your actions and not just Mm -hmm. like trying to sound good in an interview I hate that shit Mm -hmm. (sighs) okay people are so bad at holding themselves accountable they're liars Um, anyways (laughs) so yeah I mean there was just and it, it does seem like the filmmakers did a fair amount of research and wanted to be careful about representing the people and the culture authentically and it seems by and large they were successful you know lily you pointed out some things that did not feel authentic or that felt a bit cartoonish or exaggerated or just incorrect in general so it's complicated i mean you know they put in some effort but not enough because if they actually put in the right amount of effort they would have relinquished creative control and hired Native Hawaiian directors, screenwriters, composers, costume designers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But otherwise, like the the movie is is lovely. It's featuring characters who I love their relationship. I love that they are just like such fully fleshed out, distinct characters. The movie examines you know, them dealing with issues that a lot of Native Hawaiian people and marginalized people in general deal with. Um, while also, again, like showing the joy and the love, not just kind of, you know, negative struggling aspects of their life, but also like the positive, loving parts of their lives as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'll give it four nipples. Um, I will give two to Lilo and two to Nani. <laughs> Simple as that. I'll, I'll meet you at four nipples. I agree with everything you're saying. Um, yeah, I think that this movie made uh, many mistakes that I, I, I don't mean to sound like a dismissal by saying like I, it is extremely of its time. And the fact that this movie is doing above average in terms of research for being of its time speaks poorly of that time the time <laughs> and i i think that it is extremely frustrating that i mean necessary but still frustrating that these conversations are so similar to um what they were in 2002 and that the same 
poor decision making that's like i mean just institutionally white supremacist driven decision making is still taking place at the same company even though the company seems like they have a supposedly vested interest in not fucking up to the extent that they seem to constantly fuck up it's almost like it's disingenuous <laughs> yeah i i would love for the new lulu and stitch live action movie to be good i guess we'll see what happens um mm. Yeah, I guess we'll just leave it at that. But uh, originally, Lilo and Stitch, it's it it certainly has its issues. I'm very, I'm so glad you were here, Lily. I like we're huge fans of your work, and I oh, like we've hello. learned so much from you. And um, highly recommend all of our listeners check out your work as well because it's also very funny. I really enjoy it. Oh, um, thank you. I was happy to hear that um, your viewers wanted me on this podcast. I was like, oh wow, that's so cool. People know me. <laughs> Number one suggestion, truly, and we're crusty and we're not on TikTok very much. And so we were like, oh, great. And then we found your work and we're like, what? Like, you're just amazing. always on TikTok. I don't know how I'm getting my (laughs) master's with the amount of time I spent on it. I had to like, (laughs) I had to like put my phone down and just be like, nope got to do my thesis you can sc- you'll have pl- you'll have the rest of your life after you graduate to scroll on tiktok <laughs> it's tr- that's the beauty of it can confirm <laughs> but but yeah i mean i but but uh I'll, I'll give it four because there are things that this movie um does that still really i think resonate the focus on sisterhood prioritizing we didn't really talk about this but prioritizing like a young girl like figuring out how she sees herself and I love that she Mm -hmm. the two relationships are with a sister and then a friend Ugh, I just love them both Uh, of whom are very supportive in the way that Lilo wants to express herself exactly you're like this is a beautiful family um okay (laughs) so I'm not crying and I'm going to give two nipples to Lilo because she's just the MVP. And then I'll, I'll give one to Nani and one to Stitch. <laughs> nice. Lily, how about you? I agree with you guys. I give four chichis to Lilo and Stitch as well. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'll give one to Lilo, one to Nani, one to <laughs> Mrs. Hasegawa. <laughs> and yeah. um, Give one to David because we all need a David. We all need that supportive friend. We need that, that fancy, fancy hair. hair. Yes. <laughs> May we all have uh, that supportive a friend with good butt and good hair. What a beautiful thing. <laughs> uh, Jamie, I'm right here. Oh, sorry. That's my, that, Caitlin is that friend for me. And that's why I'm going to tell you on the show I'm in, in love with you. Um, right. I keep forgetting that they get together at the end. Anyway, so who knows, Jamie, anything could happen. (laughs) Like, never say never. Um, Well, Lily, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolute treat. Come back anytime for any movie you'd like to discuss. Yeah, bring us more movies. Yeah, yeah. And where can people follow you online? Check out your work. Um, You guys can find me on TikTok at Lunny. So that's H-I-I-L-I-L-Y-L-A-N-I. So it's like a combination of my Hawaiian name name Hi'ilani and my English name Lily so Hi'ilili Lani my friend Crystal came up with that so I just kind of went along with it I think it's cute um yeah. I'm also on Instagram at Hi'ilani Lily because I don't know why I didn't name it that um but <laughs> yeah um I'm very active on those two social media accounts 
Yeah, so you can find me on there. And also, um, if you want to see some of my acting work, look up the University of Hawaii at Manoa um, Hawaiian Theater Program, Kahalau Hanakeaka. There's a couple of YouTube videos of some Hawaiian theater shows that I did. It's um, One of them is called awesome. Heleoloha, H-E-L-E-O, Aloha. And then there's Ho'oilina, so H-O-Okina-O-I-L-I-N-A. Yes, I can spell. Um, so yeah, um, where you can see some of my acting work and you can also watch um theater um, made by native hawaiians for native hawaiians also in our language um yeah amazing, amazing. and we'll link that stuff as well on our yeah. social media and stuff so that people can easily find it and um yeah you can find us on instagram and twitter at bechtelcast i almost said my own name oops um <laughs> Uh, at Bechtelcast, and you can subscribe to our uh, Matreon at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast, where you get two bonus episodes every single month, plus access to the back catalog of over 100 bonus episodes. This month is May, so we have done Back to the Future and Office Space, because those were my birthday month picks and that's why i had megan on the brain because we did megan and life size in april with uh mm-hmm. dolls that are doing too much month is what i'm calling <laughs> oh, it life in my size. mind <laughs> life size is so good mm-hmm. yes and you can get our, our merch over at tpublic.com slash the bechdel cast and with that Let's get in the space tic tac and uh t- and and something something blast off. Got a blast. That's wow. Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> wow, amazing dismount. Thank you. I'm sick. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Aloha. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.